Welcome once again to Proclaiming the One, Majoring in the Minors. I'm Pastor Poppy. Along with me is Pastor Moline. We are privileged to serve the saints at Good Shepherd Lutheran Church in Lincoln, Nebraska. During this uh, Majoring in the Minors program, we're taking a look at some of the minor festivals, feast days, and commemorations in the church year. Today, we are looking at St. Titus, Pastor and Confessor. The day that the church has set aside for St. Titus is January 26. That's according to the LSB, Lutheran Service Book, uh, Minor Festival chart and commemorations. I know that there are some other church bodies and some other lectionaries that combine Titus and Timothy. I was um, uh, almost shocked to see that uh, the uh, revised common lectionary that... uh, the uh, Roman Catholics, many Roman Catholics, uh, a lot of the more liberal Christians follow, put Timothy, Titus, and Silas together into one day. And uh, in our in our Lutheran uh, tradition, we have three days in a row that uh, commemorate minor festivals. Uh, we have January 24th, that is Timothy. We have January 25th, which is the conversion of St. Paul. And we have January 26, which is Titus. They come boom, boom, boom. Rarely does anyone have an opportunity to celebrate all of them in any given year. And uh, so today we're going to park the car at January 26, St. Titus, Pastor and Confessor. Now, in my uh, manual on the liturgy, Lutheran Book of Worship, page 73, I read this, Pastor. Titus joined Paul on the journey to the Apostolic Council at Jerusalem, Galatians 2, verse 1. He was later sent on a difficult mission to Corinth, 2 Corinthians 8, verse 6 and following, and also worked in Crete and Dalmatia. According to Eusebius, Titus was the first bishop at Crete. So, Pastor, based on that uh, very, very brief historical uh, co- uh, account. What uh, What are some of your comments about Titus specifically? Well, I'd say um, these are important places in the ancient world. Uh, Corinth, of course, is a uh, very big, bustling city at the time. Uh, in fact, uh, Emperor Nero tried to dig a, uh, a canal that went through the Isthmus of Corinth uh, to try and connect the two parts of the world. Trade from the east to the west all went through there. Uh, again, then on Crete, you had a very important uh, center of trade because uh, the shipping, again, goes through that area to go from east to into west and uh, and so Titus uh, is serving as pastor in some of these places where lots of people are coming in and out and he's being faithful and preaching the word and ministering the sacraments in those places uh, the Dalmatian coast of course uh, not quite as as key or significant and yet still uh, the land routes uh, that went from different parts of the empire in the east to the city of Rome, always had kind of a jumping off point in the Dalmatian coast to travel over to Italy. And so, again, you kind of see here Titus being put in these important areas, which I think uh, isn't done by accident. I think he's being a faithful pastor in these places where he has opportunity to preach the word to many, many new people, new faces all the time. When, uh, When people think about Titus, often they think about 
Timothy, Timothy and Titus. Uh, the chapel at the St. Louis Seminary is the cha- chapel of St. Titus and St. Timothy. Oh, do they have a chapel there? No, just joking. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just joking. Yeah, sometimes even what they do there is Lutheran, but uh, <laughs> that's a whole other program. Um, so Titus seems to kind of get lost in the shuffle when people are studying the pastoral epistles they spend a lot of time in first and second timothy and again the three chapters in titus sometimes don't deserve or don't get the attention that they deserve and so today on this day when the church sets aside to remember the uh, ministry of saint titus and uh, to commemorate the fact that he was a pastor and confessor faithfully, we have Bible readings appointed for the day that uh, really highlight the pastor part of things, as we did with Timothy when we did our uh, earlier program for uh, January 24th. And so um, I don't want to spend a lot of time talking about Tim, uh, Titus the man. See, I did it there too. Yep. Uh, Titus the man, uh, although that would be worthy of a whole program in and of itself. We're not going to have an opportunity to do an in-depth look at the three chapters in Titus, and that is certainly a worthy study. Uh, some people would say that it is the Bible's table of duties and uh, that Paul wrote in a uh, wonderful way uh, the three chapters talking uh, basically the three estates, uh, church, family, and uh, the state. And so it can be looked at in that way. Uh, We want to look at the actual pericopes for St. Titus Day as assigned in Lutheran service book, pastor. Yeah, for the last, before we move into that, then to not talk about Titus the man is probably something Titus would be okay with because uh, as many of these early pastors preached, their main focus is Christ, and they're never really emphasizing themselves or pushing themselves forward. Uh, I think part of their goal is to be forgotten, and maybe Titus would have been if there wasn't a book of the Bible addressed specifically to him. And finally, the other thing to mention would be to point out Titus's name is not a Hebrew name, but it is a Gentile name, uh, a Roman name, and so that kind of indicates, too, his his beginnings and his origins as well. It probably would be a good time, Pastor, to talk uh to continue our talk that we started when we were in Timothy, how Timothy is circumcised and Titus is not. And uh, does that have anything to do with the fact that he has a Greek name or that he's going to be ministering in Greek cities? Uh, what, what can you teach us about that? Well, uh, again, Timothy is even a Greek name. Uh, the name means honoring God. Uh, Titus is more of a, a Latin name. Uh, I don't think that those things, their origins, are both uh, from that pagan uh, background uh, in that regard. I don't think that that's the determining factor. I think the determining factor is, again, is it coming between the preaching of the gospel uh, to the people who they're preaching to? And so, uh, you know, Timothy, there was that issue, and so Paul had him circumcised. And then you list in the places where Titus preached, um, and so you have the island of Crete, you have um, the Dalmatian coast, you have, um, you know, the other places that we talked about just a little a bit ago, those are primarily um, pagan, Greek, Roman. 
places. And so maybe it wasn't such a stumbling block in those locations. And so for that reason, Titus is not circumcised. I think he was close to the city of Heraklion, too, for a while, if I remember correctly. And I again, you can just hear it in the name. Heraklion is not a Hebrew uh, city. It is definitely a Roman pagan city. Okay. Well, let's get started with our uh, gospel reading. We're uh, we're not going to have a lot of time to spend on this. We'll we'll work that into the next section as well. The uh, gospel reading appointed for Saint Titus Day, January twenty sixth. Pastor and confessor is Luke ten one to nine. Pastor. After this, the Lord appointed seventy-two others and sent them on ahead of him, two by two, into every town and place where he himself was about to go. And he said to them, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Go your way. Behold, I am sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. Carry no money bag, no knapsack no sandals, and greet no one on the road. Whatever house you enter, first say, Peace be to this house. And if a son of peace is there, your peace will rest upon him. But if not, it will return to you. And remain in the same house, eating and drinking what they provide, for the laborer deserves his wages. Do not go from house to house. Whenever you enter a town and they receive you, eat what is set before you. Heal the sick in it and say to them, The kingdom of God has come near to you. The kingdom of God has come near to you. That is the uh, the last line in our gospel reading for this St. Titus Day, Luke 10, verse 9. And in a sense, it kind of sums up the content of of the message or the content of the preaching with regard to the 72 that are sent out two by two. Is that is that accurate, Pastor? Yeah, uh, it kind of gives a framework for what this uh, public preaching of the gospel is to look like as it begins its process of going out into the world. Uh, Christ tells them what they're supposed to do so there's no confusion, there's no mix-ups that are going to happen, and, and so he lays it out very clearly here. So the kingdom of God has come near to you. What does that mean? Uh, is uh, is there a throne dropping down out of heaven? Um, is this something that I have to discover by my own reason or strength? Uh, when we hear the kingdom of God has come near to you, what does this mean? Well, uh, in one sense, yes, a throne has dropped down from heaven in the sense that the second person of the Holy Trinity has taken on human flesh. I think, for example, the hymn, Savior of the Nations Come, kind of uses that sort of imagery. And so, uh, yes, the kingdom of heaven is Jesus and what he does. And in fact, you can see his coronation as he is placed on the cross. He wears the crown of throne, uh, crown of thrones, crown of thorns. Uh, he wears a purple robe. His throne is the cross where he's nailed never to leave from it in 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 one sense uh and and so that's the kingdom of heaven right there now uh the second question you asked is uh you know the way that it is preached and proclaimed isn't that you need to discover it or you need to invite jesus in or find him in your heart rather uh, in this particular pericope our Lord Jesus is explaining that it will be preached into your ears, and that's how it comes to you. Uh, and that's the same thing we say in the third article of the Creed, that the Holy Spirit calls us by the gospel, enlightens us with his gifts, and in those things keeps us in the one true church. So when we hear the kingdom of God has come near to you, 
This is about Jesus. It, it's a preaching of the gospel about Jesus, yes. And specifically, the incarnation of Jesus, how Jesus dwells with us, God in the flesh. Yeah, exactly. And and that kingdom uh, exists even now, though uh, we can't see it with our own eyes, and yet it will uh, exist now and, and forevermore. And so it's very appropriate that this uh, celebration of St. Titus, pastor and confessor, would fall during the season of Epiphany, uh, where we are uh, focusing on Christ revealing himself to the nations. Uh, real quickly, before we go to our break, Pastor, um, Titus is not one of the 72 that is sent out, is he? Uh, it's possible, uh, but we don't know. We don't have a list of those 72 folks, and um, to a certain extent it would seem to be unlikely uh, because of uh, what it says later on in the Scriptures in the book of Acts about when Titus meets them, and also because Titus has that pagan name that indicates he probably wasn't uh, amongst the first Hebrew believers of Jesus. So this text is talking about the office of preacher or the office of the holy ministry, not specifically Correct. Titus the man. That's what I wanted to get out. Yes. All right, we need to take a break. This is Proclaiming the One, Majoring in the Minors. We're looking at St. Titus, pastor and confessor. Confessor. January 26th on the church calendar. Don't change that dial. We'll be right back. You are listening to KNNALP 95.7 FM, Lincoln, Nebraska. Welcome back to Proclaiming the One, Majoring in the Minors. Today we're looking at St. Titus, pastor and confessor. The church has set aside January 26 for this special observance and celebration. In our first segment, we talked about Titus the man and uh, the fact that Titus is a pastor and that the readings for this day focus not so much on Titus the man, but on his office as pastor and confessor. We spent a little time with our gospel reading, Luke 10, 1 to 9, and uh, we want to continue that discussion. Pastor, uh, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them on ahead of him, two by two, into every town and place where he was about to go. Now, we know the content of their message from the last verse, Luke 10, verse 9. The kingdom of God has come near to you. This is what they are to preach, teach, and proclaim. So what can you tell us about this uh, seemingly odd thing where Jesus commissions or appoints 72 and then sends them out two by two? Uh what is going on here? Was this like a common practice for teachers or rabbis to do this? Is this something completely new? Is the number 72 significant? Is the two by two significant? What uh, what can we learn from this? Well, um, yeah, there, there's a lot 
there in that question that you asked. The, the reality is, in a sense, they are also doing the same thing that John the Baptist was doing. And the message that they're preaching is the same message that John the Baptist had been preaching. And as we know from uh, John the Baptist, he's, his, uh, his work was to prepare the way of the Lord. And so that's what these folks are doing. Um, they are going out to prepare the way for the Lord in the same way that John the Baptist did by the same preaching. And so that, again, the focus is, is so that people might receive Jesus. Uh, that's, again, the, the main idea. They want, uh, the, the disciples are there to preach so that Jesus might be received when he comes. And in a sense, that's the same thing that pastors do now, right? We preach so that when Christ returns or that when people die, they might receive Jesus and uh, inherit all that comes with that. And so, it's not something new, but it's it's um, uh, it's not the normal way of going about things either. It's not like Plato did that or the Peripatetics did that. Uh, this is uh, kind of a unique thing here, but it is, again, the fulfilling of the Old Testament scriptures. Uh, the 72 then, uh, you know, you, you have it, uh, it's a number that's divisible by 12. And so um, you have uh, 6 times 12 equals uh, 72. And so you have kind of that idea again of two by two going out and you have the, the number 12 there, which is an important number in, in God's mind. He has the 12 uh, tribes from the Old Testament. You have the 12 apostles. And now you have again a number of 12 uh, here again. So uh, it is that significance. We should see the, the 12 taking place there. And I think even six being half of 12, perhaps this is uh, representing all the completeness of the new Testament preaching, uh, which is again focused on proclaiming that the kingdom of God is near, just like happened, whether we understand it fully or not, in the Old Testament, that same preaching idea took place. That message, the kingdom of God is near, is, uh, is a pretty major theme in the book of Isaiah. And uh, literally in the Hebrew, it is uh, the kingdom of God is in your midst. Yes. Uh, and uh, dwelling among you. And so I think that, that also testifies to that incarnational thought. Now, Jesus says to the 72, as he is sending them out two by two, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Now, before we go on to the other instructions there, um, it seems almost odd that he's giving like a seminary pep talk uh, with regard to the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few, to the laborers that he's actually sending out into the harvest. So, uh, you know, I've heard this text read at ordinations. I've heard this text read at mission festivals. I've heard this uh, in seminary recruitment uh, <laughs> videos and uh, audios. So what are we to make out of the fact that Jesus says to the 72, the harvest is plentiful, the laborers are few, pray earnestly for the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest? Well, I think there's a lot of ways that we can take it. I mean, if it goes along with, uh, we just recently 
Uh, I preached on the uh, parable of the vineyard where the master sends the people to labor in the harvest uh, in the vineyard. You know, uh, again, we can take it first off as, yes, there are not going to be enough pastors to do all the preaching and teaching that's necessary for the entire world to be saved in the sense that there's way more people to be saved than there are pastors. That's true. We also have this idea, again, if you look at really what's being said, the one who's at work behind it is God. God's sending, God's sending people out to preach god's also sending people into the uh into the harvest and so and he's the his, one it's his harvest yes and so he's the one who's at work and so we can talk about it in the sense that there's not enough pastors and we need more and we can recruit pastors using it but i don't think we want to separate the actual actor and doer from what's going on which again is Christ working to create and sustain his church through the work of the Holy Spirit. One, one of the things I take away from this, Pastor, is that this sending out of the 72 is not a one-time act, no. and that it is to continue, whether it's done in sixes or twelves or two-by-twos or whatever, this message goes out till the end of time. And that's, that's one of the things that I've looked at and taken away from this text. Now, starting in verse 3 of Luke 10, Jesus again says to the 72, Go your way. Behold, I am sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. He's got lots of instructions here. Let's just kind of take them one at a time. What does he mean here when he says lambs in the midst of wolves? Well, uh, wolves eat lambs. Um, and In fact, um, they they enjoy eating lambs because they're a handy-sized meal, they're easy to catch, and they're tasty. Uh, and so what he's saying is, is that you're going to be attacked and brutalized and uh, perhaps even killed for preaching this message. Okay, and so he wants them to be aware of it, so they're not uh, they're not caught off guard. And pastors would do well to be aware of that. Mm, yes, uh, people thinking about going to the seminary should have their eyes open to that too. Yes. It's a little hard uh, at that stage of things. You don't realize the depravity of sin, uh, but uh, <laughs> uh, trust me, it's there. Uh, carry no money bag, no knapsack, no sandals, and greet no one on the road. What's uh, what's going on there? Verse 4 of Luke 10. Well, um, no, carry no money bag means don't worry about how you're going to make ends meet and things like that. You need to go out and preach the word no matter what. Uh, no knapsack means the same thing, essentially. You know, you don't know where you're going to stay, but you need to get out there and preach the word. That's not your main concern. Um, no sandals, uh, you know, also the same thing. Even the greeting people on the road. Um, this is the ancient world, right? So you meet somebody on the road and you greet them. You end up having a 20-minute conversation about uh, how your Aunt Sally is recovering uh, from her, you know, illness last month. And and the, essentially Jesus is saying, we don't have time for that. The message is uh, timely. It needs to be out there now. We are wasting time. We need to make sure people know the gospel, the kingdom of heaven is near. Don't waste time on the pleasantries. So in verse 4, we're to take away uh, the urgency of the task at hand and trust God to take care, uh, give us this day our daily bread. Don't worry right. about the future. Just right. God will take care of you. Okay, in verse 5 of Luke 10, well, whatever house you enter, first say, peace to this house, continuing on in verse 6. And if a son of peace is there, your peace will rest on him, but if not, it will return to you. 
What what is this son of peace uh, thing? Uh, peace be with you. Uh, sounds uh, sounds kind of like what we do at church, you know, sharing the peace with one another after the pastor consecrates the Lord's supper. The peace of the Lord be with you. What uh, what's happening here, pastor? Well, I think that's a really uh, neat way to think about it, too, because the first churches are actually going to be in people's homes. And so essentially what he's saying is when you're a pastor, you're going to go to a house where you're going to be the pastor, and uh, this is part of what you do. And if there are faithful Christians there, that peace uh, will will bless upon them. Uh, and if not, then it will be returned to you, and you need to find a different place to go out and preach and teach. So when we talk about the peace of the Lord, oftentimes in church we'll say that that's shorthand for the forgiveness of sins. Is yes. that is that a good way to look at it here? I think so. I think that's the thing that gives us uh, peace before God is the forgiveness of sins. And we see that pictured in many ways in Scripture. For example, the, uh, the sea in heaven is... Uh, so smooth and calm that uh, it's like crystal. And that's, again, the peace of the Lord uh, and its comparison to our sea, which is always moving and violent and things like that. In verse 7, remain in the same house, eating and drinking what they provide, for the laborer deserves his wages. Pastors like to hear that passage. And then it says, do not go from house to house. Um, Whenever you enter a town and they receive you, eat what is set before you. So am I to take from this that while on one hand the laborer, the pastor, is deserving of his wages, but on the other hand, um, be satisfied with what you have. Don't have wandering eyes. Don't be trying to manipulate a call to some greener pasture someplace. Am Am I reading too much into this text, Pastor? No, I think that's an important thing for a pastor to consider. And and again, it doesn't mean that a pastor never, ever moves. Uh, they obviously do. Titus himself, you know, we listed three or four places where he served as pastor. But uh, it's not like a constant thing where you're a, a traveling preacher man uh, sort of deal. That's not what they're, they're picturing at this time. I'm thinking of the uh, contentment that Paul writes about in uh, his letter to the Philippians. And uh, godliness with contentment is great gain. And I think pastors need to hear that message that the Lord will provide to be content with what you have if he sends you another uh, if he sends you another call to consider well that's pretty awesome. but if he doesn't, uh, don't sweat it. God has not abandoned you. Pastor and then it says, heal the sick and then say to them the kingdom of God has come near to you. Um, We don't do any, like, healing services here at Good Shepherd. We don't tell people to come forward and then throw away their crutches or stand up out of their uh, wheelchair. What, uh, What can you say today about passages like this where it says heal the sick? Yeah, I would I would say that uh, we're not mainly talking about uh, just healing the sick in the sense like slapping them in the forehead and then they get up and walk. Uh, but again, we're we're healing sin sick souls. We're saving their souls, and that's done with the preaching of a particular word. Uh, and and so that's the kind of thing that's being. Uh, talked about. Now, definitely the word here is therapeuo, which means heal. Um, And so in that sense, too, we do care for those people who are sick, but we're not 
medical doctors. We are soul doctors, and we have to keep that idea in the back of our mind at the same time. And uh, these words being written by Luke, who is a medical doctor, I think is very important for us too. We can have all kinds of social human care kind of ministries at the church, but they're always extra. The primary job for a pastor is to preach the word, administer the sacraments, forgive or retain sins that must always be kept before us we need to take a break proclaiming the one majoring in the minor saint titus we'll be right back you are listening to knalp 95.7 fm lincoln nebraska All praise for faithful pastors who preached and taught your word. For Timothy and Titus, true servants of their Lord, Lord, help your pastors nourish the souls within their care so that your church may flourish and all your blessings share. Welcome back to Proclaiming the One, Majoring in the Minors. We're looking at St. Titus, Pastor and Confessor, celebrated on January 26th throughout the church. I read for you verse 11 of LSB 517, By All Your Saints in Warfare, the uh, verse that is uh, dedicated to both Titus and Timothy. Together, they share that particular verse. We, uh, In our first two segments, we uh, not only introduced St. Titus Day, but spent uh, considerable time looking at the gospel reading, Luke 10, 1 to 9. And Pastor, uh, during the break, you, you made a comment about how odd it was that if we're going to talk about the office of the holy ministry, it, how odd it is that this pericope, this gospel reading, ends at verse 9. What did you mean by that? Well, uh, Jesus' sermon doesn't stop there with uh, you know the idea that uh, preach the kingdom of God has come near to you. It continues on and it says some people are going to reject that, and it talks about uh, the response of the church when the word of God is rejected. And it goes on and says, Whenever you enter a town and they do not receive you, go into its streets and say, Even the dust of your town that clings to our feet we wipe off against you. Nevertheless, know this, that the kingdom of God has come near. I tell you the truth, it will be more bearable on that day for Sodom than for that town. And essentially, you know, it's kind of a rite that's in the scriptures that says when the word of God is rejected, uh, the dust gets wiped off. But you'll notice even as that gets done, the word is still preached. The kingdom of God has come near even though you will not believe it. Uh, And uh, I think that has to be a part of what happens in the church for those who reject the word, we still need to preach that word, uh, but it needs to have those teeth on it, and uh, we, we're kind of afraid to do that in our world today. Yeah, we're afraid. We don't trust the word will do what the word promises it will do. We, uh, I, don't, I don't know that there's any evil or sinister plot here. Verse 9 emphasizes the content of their message, but I think hearing that in proper context is important. I also think to the call of Isaiah in uh, Isaiah chapter 6, 
six. You know, we always read, uh, you know, the fun verses and the happy verses. And here am I, Lord, send me, send me. And if you keep reading in the text, it talks about the reality of those who will reject the word of God. And I think that's true pretty much throughout the Old Testament scriptures with every call of every prophet. And so a little dose of reality there as uh, as we talk and think about the office of the holy ministry. There should be a right in the agenda for this, for the wiping off of the dust for congregations or people or individuals who reject God's word and what it speaks in its truth and purity. Well, maybe uh, maybe in your uh, pastorate you can convince a congregation to write an overture and send it to the district con- convention, and the district convention send it on to the Commission on Worship, and for our next agenda, we can have that. When I'm sitting president, it'll be in there. <laughs> Good one. I haven't uh, that, I haven't laughed that hard for a while. Pastor, let's take a look now at our first reading uh, right in your wheelhouse. Acts chapter 20, verses 28 through 35. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock, and from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. And now I command you to God, commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. You yourselves know that these hands ministered to my necessities and to those who were with me. In all things I have shown you that by working hard in this way, we must keep the weak must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Okay, Uh, pretty familiar words here from Acts 20. These words are oftentimes read in the installation or ordination rite of a pastor. Uh, Very, very uh, prominent words. Who, uh, help us out here, pastor, who's doing the talking? This is Acts. This is the 20th chapter of Acts. Who's doing the talking and who is he talking? Talking to. Well, this is St. Paul uh, preaching kind of his farewell sermon to the Ephesian elders, the Ephesian folks uh, at the church in Ephesus. And Ephesus was a, a key center later on in the church. Uh, it is uh, getting to be that way at the time that he preaches this. It's an intellectual city. It's got a library and many learned people and philosophers that are there. It's a wealthy city being located on the coast, uh, the eastern, sorry, the western side of Turkey. Uh, today is where we would play it. Um, and, and so he's, Paul knows he's heading back to Jerusalem, that chances are good he'll be arrested, perhaps even martyred. Uh, what does happen is he's arrested and he's held in prison uh, while the, uh, the Jews uh, hold him there with uh, legal limbo uh, without the ability to try him. Uh, eventually he he uh, pleads his case before Ju- uh, the Caesar, the emperor in, in Rome, uh, and so later on he is then beheaded outside the walls of Rome as, as a result of all this. And so Paul kind of has an idea that this is it, this is his last chance to talk to these folks, and he's trying to emphasize to them the most important things uh, in that preaching and teaching. Okay, so when he's 
uh, writing and preaching here to the elders at Ephesus, is he talking to pastors or lay people? Um, this sounds like instructions that he's giving to uh, pastors and and possibly leaders in the church. Uh, this is this is some pretty serious stuff he's talking about here. How are we to read that? Well, uh, it says there in, in verse seventeen, uh, which is a little bit before our our scripture lesson, that he's called the elders of the church to come to him. And when we're using that word elders, we're not thinking uh, elders like we have today, a group of lay people elected into a position to help the pastors. Rather, this time we're thinking of actually the pastors who are serving these congregations and these churches. And so it, it is clear in that regard he's speaking these words to the pastors, the elders uh, of the churches of Ephesus and Miletus and other places. And I think that's pretty clear in verse 28, too, where he says, uh, the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Yes. Uh, that that seems to me a reference to ordination to me. And I think that word is the word episkopos, if I'm correct, correct? Okay, I, I don't have my Greek in front of me, but I, I would I'll trust look. you on that one. Pastor, in verse 28, it says, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock. Um what kind of attention, pay careful attention, are we talking about? That uh, your car is always waxed and uh, that you have uh, a neatly trimmed hair and beard, that your shoes are polished and your office desk isn't too messy? Are these the kind of things we should be uh, paying uh, careful attention to? Or does Paul have something else in mind? Uh, the word is episkopos, yes. Um, he... He, he probably, I mean, these things are not bad things, and, and maybe it's important to have shoes and, and whatnot, but no, that's not the main thing that he's talking about. Um, he's talking mainly about your theology, your preaching and your teaching, to make sure that it is actually scriptural, biblical teaching and preaching about Jesus Christ. Uh, all the other things that you mentioned, they can help you, and perhaps they will get in the way if you have a problem with one of these things, but that's not the main thing that makes people... Christian. It's the Word, and that's what Paul's concerned with. And I think that's clear, too, as we go a little bit further in our text, talking about the fierce attacks that are coming. Um, I the, the Church of God, which uh, God obtained with his own blood, I think that's a marvelous way to describe the church. He says, I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. Uh, from your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Is this the kind of wolves that uh, Jesus is talking about in Luke 10 with regard to the attacks that will come on the gospel? Is, uh, is Paul talking about something different or something similar? I think Paul's talking about the same things, and I think it's interesting to think that the same author, Luke, who wrote uh, the uh, Gospel of Luke is writing this here in Acts. It's almost like Paul has listened to this word that was preached by Jesus. He's heard about it, and now he's preaching a sermon based on that text that we read before uh, as he is getting ready to leave and to go back to Jerusalem, eventually to his death. And so, uh, yeah, it's that very same idea, except now we're even seeing a little bit clearer. Uh, he says, wolves will come out from among you, talking to the elders and the the 
episcopos, the bishops uh, of the church. And uh, how are they wolves then? They are false teachers raised up from amongst all the teachers, and it's uh, going to affect not only pastors that are preaching false doctrine, but you'll see it also uh, hurts and harms the flock that are under the care of the other pastors. And so this is a reality of the world where when you preach a false teaching, it hurts not only you and your own congregation, it can also hurt the other congregations in the area. And this is why we always need to be on guard and we need to keep each other on the straight and narrow path and to make sure we're preaching and teaching the truth uh, because that's more important than any other thing. And I think I think that's the importance of what we have in the Missouri Synod with Winkles and uh, districts and things like this where where we have that ability brother pastors to correct and admonish one another it doesn't always happen but at least at least the structure is there for that to happen and so if you're a pastor and you're listening never let yourself be above the correction of the scriptures Uh, Just because you've been a pastor for a long time doesn't mean you can't make a mistake. And when someone brings God's word to you and says, here's the error or the mistake that I think you made, listen, because it's not just your soul that's at risk. It's the soul of all the members that you serve in your congregation also. It's a very dreadfully serious thing. And I think that's brought out beautifully in verse 32 of Acts 20, where it says, And now I command you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. Isn't that saying the same thing that you're talking about, Pastor? It is. It's saying that, um, again, God's word is the thing that will keep you out of the error. It will keep you on the straight and narrow. It will make your uh, your flock Christian. Uh, the Holy Spirit then, again, is given the responsibility of doing these things through the word. And when we leave it in that realm, in the Holy Spirit's work, that's the best place to leave it. And when I hear that word sanctified, I often think of the holy living in the life of a Christian, and we don't separate the teaching of a pastor from the lifestyle of a pastor. They both can be beneficial to a congregation. They both can be harmful to a congregation. So we need to we need to do both of those. Um, at the at the very end, it is more blessed to give than to receive. We're talking here. Uh, you know, a lot of times this is used with regard to stewardship campaigns and things, but. Um, Pastor, in the time that we have left, more blessed to give than to receive. How is this specifically spoken to pastors? Well, it goes right along with all the things we've said so far, right? Um, Stick in the word. Make sure you're paying attention to your teaching. Uh, Don't covet the gold or silver. He definitely says that. But if you take it all in context, you see he's talking about how important it is to give the word out, to preach it faithfully so that the average Christian can become Christian. Amen, amen. This is Proclaiming the One, Majoring the Minors. We need to take a break. We'll be right back. You are listening to KNNALP 95.7 FM, Lincoln, Nebraska. Welcome back to Proclaiming the One, Majoring in the Minors. 
Pastor Clint Poppy, Pastor Adam Oline. We serve the saints at Good Shepherd Lutheran Church in Lincoln, Nebraska. We are looking at minor festivals, feast days, and occasions in the church year. Today we've parked the car at January 26th, the day the church has set aside to remember St. Titus, pastor and confessor. In our gospel reading for today, uh, Luke 10, 1 to 9, we used our first two segments. In our third segment, we looked at the first reading, Acts 20, 28 to 35. And now in our final segment, we want to look at our epistle reading, finally, a little Titus. And yet, Titus is not the one doing the writing, is he? No, this is a letter addressed to Titus. The epistle reading He's, is Titus 1, 1 to 9. Yeah, Titus is doing the uh, highest art of being a Christian. He's listening to something being preached to him. Amen. <laughs> Very well said. So, Pastor, do you want to read the first nine verses of Titus 1? Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, for the sake of the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth, which accords with godliness in hope of eternal life, which God, who never lies, promise before the ages began, and the proper time manifested in his word through the preaching with which I have been entrusted by the command of God our Savior. To Titus, my true child in the common faith, grace and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. This is why I left you in Crete, so that you might put what remained into order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. If anyone is above reproach, the husband of one wife, and his children are believers and not open to the charge of debauchery or insubordination. For an overseer, as God's steward, must be above reproach. He must not be arrogant, or quick-tempered, or a drunkard, or violent, or greedy for gain, but hospitable, a lover of good, self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. He must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught, so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. Wow, we got a lot of stuff here in Titus 1, uh, 1 to 9, the epistle reading appointed for St. Tim- Titus, Pastor and Confessor Day, January 26th in the church. So at the beginning, we have Paul with some um, introductory salutation kind of stuff. A couple of things that I want to point out here before we get into the meat of this text. Paul calls himself a servant of God. What does that mean, Pastor, that Paul, the Apostle Paul, is a servant of God? Yeah, and especially because in uh, that time and place, there's not really a word for servant that's different than slave. Uh, and what Paul is saying then is he does what God wants him to. And uh, I think that's really a key thing. Paul, what's he do? He preaches. He teaches. He uh, administers the Lord's Supper. Uh, he does those things. That's what God wants him to do, and so that's what he does. And that's kind of the definition of servant and or slave. And a little bit later here in Titus chapter 1 and verse 2, uh, he describes God as someone who never lies. What, uh, what, what can we take from that almost throwaway line in uh, Titus 1 verse 2? Well, uh, 
that everything God says and speaks is the truth. And uh, where does God speak and give that word? He gives it in the Holy Scriptures. That's where we receive God's word uh, clearly. And so the Holy Scriptures themselves then never lie as they are God's word. Uh, Oftentimes the Bible, the Holy Scriptures, are referred to as inspired, inerrant, and infallible. Um, Inspired meaning that they are breathed out from God through human beings. Uh, Inerrant meaning they are without error. And infallible meaning that they are incapable of. Of error, and you put all three of those things together, and we have not only the clarity but the trustworthiness of Scripture. We we can count on it. We can trust it. It's uh, it's true, and uh, not only is it true, it's powerful. Powerful mm-hmm. to do what it says. Um, and uh, finally, on that last thing, I think these are all instructive. You know, Paul is describing himself as a pastor, an apostle, a confessor. Uh, he's a servant of God. God's word never lies. And he says, through preaching, in verse 3, with which I have been entrusted by the command of God. What does that teach us about a pastor? Well, he's, he's saying that um, God's word came about at the proper time, it was revealed through preaching. And and that's one of the key things that Paul is always teaching. The scriptures are always teaching that when God's word is preached and taught in its truth and purity, God is there working at it, uh, through it, and creating Christians through it. And so uh, Paul has no problem saying that very clearly here, that um, God manifests himself, is present, is revealed through proper teaching and to- uh, proper doctrine. Well said. Verse 4, to Titus, my true child in a common faith. Um, in other words, Paul is not Titus's biological father. Is that correct? That's correct. So my true child in a common faith. Uh, I sometimes hear pastors refer to their flock as their children, the confirmation class or the Sunday school kids as their children. Is, is, that, uh, is that an appropriate way to, to look at this? Because it seems like Paul's doing that with Titus. Yeah, I think as long as we understand what we're doing with it, I, th- I think that's proper thing. In fact, uh, for a long time in the church, um, we, we called pastors father uh, rather than just pastor. I know we don't do that because uh, you know we're Lutherans and we don't want to be confused with the Catholics, but I think that's a, a positive thing because it depicts a proper relationship between the people uh, and their pastor, where the pastor's there to teach and care and provide for them in in regards to God's Word, and the uh, the congregation's there to receive that as a, a dear child listens to their dear father. And I know not everybody has the perfect father, but I, I think that's still a good way to think about it if we think about it correctly. Cool. Verse 5, that is why I left you in Crete, so that you might put what remained into order and appoint elders in town as I have directed you. Um, he, uh, he talks about order a lot in this letter, and Paul talks about order a lot in his epistles. So uh, what is this kind of order that we're talking about? 1 Corinthians 14.40 comes to mind. Everything should be done decently and in order. Why, why is this such a big thing for Paul? Well, <clears throat> Paul is uh, going out and preaching the word, and as a result, churches are springing up. And uh, the order part is an important thing 
to keep all the churches on the same page theologically so that they actually are um, teaching the same doctrine. They actually understand there actually is a... um, by human right hierarchy in the sense that uh, these are the people who are helping to settle disputes. Uh, This is the procedure for that. This is how someone can be the rightly called pastor in a particular town as opposed to just one springing up themselves. All that stuff needs proper order, and as Paul is laying the foundation for the Christian church, he is working hard at establishing that order so that all the uh, conflicts and things that naturally happen in regards to those questions won't subtract away from preaching the gospel. And as a part of that order, Paul instructs Titus to appoint elders, that is pastors, and to ordain them. And uh, then he gives this long laundry list, and uh, we don't have time to go through all of them in detail. But uh, above reproach, husband of one wife, children and believe, uh, are believers and not open to the charge of debauchery or insubordination. Uh, God's steward and overseer must be above reproach, not arrogant, not quick-tempered, not a drunkard, not violent, not greedy for gain, but hospitable, a lover of good, self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. Pastor, um, Some people are surprised that God has a list of requirements for someone who would aspire to the office of the holy ministry. Why shouldn't that uh, surprise us? Well, it shouldn't surprise us because, again, uh, the pastor's job is to preach the word and not let the pastor themselves get in the way of that, uh, not let their challenges or difficulties become a stumbling block for the congregation that they serve. I think what perhaps should be more surprising, having read this list, is that anyone actually qualifies and is able to be a pastor. And the truth is, is that only happens as a result of the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. There's not a pastor that I know that fits all of those things Paul mentioned to a T. There's always sin in every pastor. There's always difficulties and challenges. And uh, except for the grace of Jesus Christ earned by the blood uh, shed from the cross, no one would be fit to serve. And so uh, praise be to God that he, in his mercy, for a time, who knows how long, allows men to serve him in the office of the church. He doesn't need them. He doesn't, uh, they're not required in the sense that, uh, you know, God needs Adam Moline to be the pastor. That's not the truth. Uh, if, if it wasn't me, he could find someone else to do the same preaching. But by his mercy, he's given me a call to serve in a particular place for a time. I, w- I would counter and say that there is one who does fit all these qualifications, and that's Jesus. Well, y- yes. <laughs> yeah. no, no human being, no ch- uh, oh, mere mortal fits Fair. that. Yes. Um, pastor, Titus 1.9, I sign a lot of my letters Titus 1.9. I think for a pastor, this is the most significant verse in uh, St. Titus and uh, perhaps in all of Scripture. He, a pastor, must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. Why is that verse so important? Well, I mean, uh, so you have all the requirements before that about what uh, things— have to happen in a pastor's life for them to become a pastor, but now you hear what their job actually is, to hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught, to give instruction in it, and to rebuke those who contradict it. That's a pastor's job then. It's not the requirements 
that we had before, but this is now what you do when you have those requirements met. So it's a twofold, two sides to the same coin. It's not enough to just preach the truth. You need to refute error as well. Correct. And may God bless every pastor to take that task seriously and to commit his life and his ministry to that task for the sake of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Pastor, would you uh, lead us in prayer? The Collect of the Day, St. Titus, Pastor and Confessor, January 26th in our church calendar. Almighty God, you called Titus to the work of pastor and teacher. Make all shepherds of your flock diligent in preaching your holy word, so that the whole world may know the immeasurable riches of our Savior Jesus Christ, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Amen. For Pastor Moline, I'm Pastor Poppy. Thank you for tuning in today to Proclaiming the One, Majoring in the Minors. We'll see you again soon. God's richest blessings in Christ.